an amazing Sunday morning. I need to tell you guys something real quick. Part of my sermon today is about be you. Teachers, the best thing that you could possibly do as a teacher is to be yourself. And so guys, on stage today, I'm going to be myself. Both my parents just shuddered at the sound of that. But I'm going to be myself. And myself, I am excited. I have a genuine excitement for life. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy who I do it with. And I enjoy that uh, Pastor Jason trusted me enough to hand it over to me for who knows whatever reason. And so, guys, I just want to say thank you, teachers, for coming out. I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that you guys get to be part of this service. And I'm excited that you guys get one of those things to take home with you, that uh, me and John Yinger were doing competitions to see who could fill one up faster. And because he has a bad hip, I beat him. <laughs> John, I don't even think you have a bad hip, do you? No, it's, it's your knees. Yeah, actually, this is knees. Okay. It's okay. God's going to hit you with that. So... Back to school, guys. First of all, I didn't know that slide was going to happen, so I want to say this real quick. I am engaged to the most beautiful, most outstanding, most uh, loving woman I've ever met before, and that is Marissa Hathon. So thank you so much. I'll, uh, I'll share the story on that later, but as it stands right now, the first thing that I really wanted to do is if you are a teacher, a coach, a drill sergeant, professor, school or staff, staff faculty, anything like that, if I could have you guys stand up right now, what I want to do is have the Freedom Center gather around you and clap for you and let you know that we are behind you as teachers. So teachers, staff, faculty, if you're in this room right now, please stand up right now. We want to celebrate you as a church. <laughs> guys we love you wow wow we love our teachers we love you we believe in you we care for you we stand behind you and the first thing that i have to say as a former student is i'm sorry <laughs> teachers i was a horrible student I was. I'm so sorry. Every single time that a teacher would write something about me, what they would write was, great person, horrible student. On every single one of my classes, that was the number one thing that my teachers would write about me. My, my parents would go into parent-teacher conferences, and they'd say, you know, JD is a really great kid. He's very loving, gets along very well with everybody. But for the love of God, can you teach him to shut up? And my parents would just go, nah, not going to happen. <laughs> I graduated with a 1.98. Thank you very much, Father. 1.98, which is 0.18 higher than you. Uh, there were... <laughs> but, but also like half of what my mom got in high school. Um, there were 34 credits that were offered the whole time I was in high school. Uh, I only needed 28 to graduate. So can you guess how many credits I got? 28, that's correct. I got 28 credits, just barely enough to graduate. In my entire high school career, I got one A, I got one B minus, and the rest was a C or lower. I had eight classes offered to me every single year, and in that entire, like, what was that, 32 classes, I was only, uh, I was basically only got one A and one B minus. So I, my goal in high school was to just get through it. If I could just see the light at the end of the tunnel and get through it, then I was happy. I had 160 class absences my senior year, and I only had three classes a day. That means that I missed almost a third of my senior year. Uh, me and Chris Dobeck, mostly Chris Dobeck, because I can blame him, we were late almost every single day to school because I would drive to go to his house to pick him up, and then he wouldn't be ready for whatever reason. And uh, sometimes we would just skip our first hour and eat jets from the night before that. I don't think I ever told you guys that story. <laughs> There's a lot of stories my parents are going to find out today about high school. 
And every single office lady, there's probably 10 of them, knew us by name because of how many times we were down in the office. So that's why I just wanted to say teachers in this room who just stood up, who I just, uh, or who we just applauded for, I'm sorry. But I love you guys. I really do. You will hear some stories from my teachers later. And to tell you guys again just how bad of a student I am, I have just a few stories for you guys. Because I had a teacher, his name was Mr. Brown. He was my fourth grade social studies teacher, and he taught me to love stories. And so because of him, you guys now get to hear some stories. There was one time I was in my SRT class. I'm not going to mention any teachers' names. But basically what SRT stood for was student resting time. It was actually student resource time where you're supposed to go take tests, but... When you have a 1.98 GPA, you're just looking to take a nap. And so I walked in, and there was a girl that was actually trying to study. And for some reason, it confused me that she was trying to study. And so I thought to myself, how is it that I can make her not study? And I decided to walk over, pick her up out of her desk, walk over to a window, had one of my friends open it, and I set her outside the window and closed it and made her walk all the way around to the front of the school to get back into class. And of course, she got in trouble, and she wasn't going to sell me out. So kudos to you. The next one, the next one, I don't even know if I'm allowed to tell this story, but this is the reason why after my freshman year of, or after my first day of freshman year of high school, I decided to never use a public bathroom again. It's because I came walking in, <laughs> you can tell me if I can use for second service or not, it's because I came walking in. And one of my other freshmen decided he was going to have his pants around his ankles and be running back and forth between every urinal, peeing in each one. And from that moment on, I decided public bathrooms aren't for me. And so I decided to never do that again. And my final one, I told my dad the story this morning because I had to make sure it was okay. In my junior year of high school, there was these hand sanitizer bottles that you used to get from Bath and Body Works. And they had like this like elastic band so that way you could basically wrap it around a backpack or something like that. Well, I, I broke one on accident just playing with it. And before the girl could come back, I wanted to fix it without her knowing. And one of my friends had a lighter on him. Can you guys guess what I did next? <laughs> I decided to take the two rubber pieces and rubber melts. At least I thought it melted. And I decided to take the two rubber ends that snapped and put them together while he took a lighter underneath it and tried to melt them back together. It didn't work. Instead, it lit on fire. And so now I basically have a hand sanitizer hand grenade in my hand. And I'm trying to figure out how it is that I could either put this out, get rid of the smell, or throw it out a window before anybody knows. Ultimately, I decided to just put my hands on it and cover up the flame. So that way, eventually, the fire would go out. And I didn't get in trouble for it because I was on the complete opposite side of the room of my teacher. Teachers? I'm sorry. I was a very, very poor student. And all that, all those stories, everything that I just mentioned is to say, teachers, you have the hardest job that I know. But if you're like me, it's more painful to not do it than it is to do it. You have a calling on your life, teachers, to be a teacher. And for you, it would be harder to sit back and have to watch public school systems fail students than it would be to be an adamant, active part of it in teaching what the next generation needs to know. You teachers are incredible. You're my heroes. And because you have put up with people like what I just mentioned, thank you for everything that you do. We all have our callings. We all are influencers. We all have influence on somebody. From the moment that we took our first breath, to the moment that we're going to die, we will have influence and we all have a calling to do something with that first breath to our last breath. I've officially been the youth pastor now for about nine months. 
I was called into being a youth pastor, though, about 16 months ago, 18 months ago, something like that, at a conference called River Valley Conference. We went there, and I was going there hoping for inspiration on how it is that I could become a better uh, engaged community organization leader, which is being run by a phenomenal former teacher who eventually probably will go back to school. Carrie Lay, she's amazing, was the best assistant. Um, I mean, I have Maddie now, too. Both of them are, like, amazing, especially in their own ways. Uh, but, but she has taken this to a whole new level than I could possibly imagine, and she actually got inspiration from River Valley. But when I went there, in my 24 years of life at that point, I've been in church every Sunday. I've been in church every Wednesday night. I've served in leadership teams. I've probably spent, I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours in the church, and never once did I ever feel like the person on the stage had a specific thing for me. And I show up to this conference, and there's a pastor who goes on stage, and he said, guys, I don't know why I'm going to share this, but I feel like I have to. There's somebody on the crowd who's creating a new ministry right now. They're excited about it. They love it. It has to do with entrepreneurship. They're creating things. And I'm just telling you right now that I feel like God has a new calling on your heart that you need to follow after and let that pass away. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, that's for me. And the time that God confirmed it was I looked down the line and everybody in staff this way was looking at me and everybody on staff this way was looking at me and everybody in the row in front of me was looking at me. And I was like, wow, God, you had to make it pretty blatant, huh? All my teachers say, yes, I did have to make it pretty blatant. Basically, I had to hit you with a two by four. So that's, but that was, that was when I found out that everybody had a calling. And to that point, I had had different callings, but all that culminated into that one thing. Being a teacher is a God-given calling. Every teacher that I know who enjoys what they do can point back to a time that they said, this is when I knew I wanted to be a teacher. This is when I knew that God had called me to do this. This is when I can stand on the ground and say, and look everybody else in the eye and say, I know teachers don't have the best health benefits. I know teachers don't get paid the most. I know my students aren't going to like me all that much, but I know that God has called me to do this. And this is what I'm going to do. And I can stand on this ground. And every teacher that I know has that moment. And I can even back it up with scripture, believing that this is biblical. Romans 12, 5 through 8. It's funny that we just came out of a Roman series. I was trying not to use a Romans verse, but... It just enlists it the best. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Here's something that I want to point out, though. Being a teacher, you don't just get to teach. Teaching may be 20% of your job, but the other 80% of your job is everything else that's comprised in that list. If it isn't for a teacher being a prophet and seeing that a 16-year-old person that's lighting hand sanitizer bottles in the back of the room actually has the potential of standing on a stage in front of 400 people proclaiming the greatness of God, you know? then I don't end up in this point. If I don't have teachers that pull me off to the side saying, you're not living up to your potential right now, you need to be something more and I believe that you can be. I'm not standing in this position. Teachers, you are prophets. Servant. You guys come in, I think two weeks before anybody else comes in to build a room. You stay at conferences all summer long so that way you can create a curriculum in order to teach your students the most efficiently. You spend your own money to create papers that students shove into their backpacks, not thinking anything of it whatsoever. 
You go home and you spend tireless hours at night grading papers, reading the exact same project basically over and over and over again. I'm sure you can tell me every single thing about George Washington, you know? And you set up desk arrangements in your room. You guys are servants beyond servants. And no one even takes the time to recognize that. And so thank you again for being servants. Teacher, this one makes sense. It's literally your title. <laughs> you get to stand up in front of a room and you get to train the next generation on who it is that they can become. And you get to train them based on history lessons, based on literature, based on uh, you know, dramatic arts, based on so many things. And you get to actually take what it is that God has called you to do, the part that you enjoy the most, and you get to show that to your students in a real, tangible way. And teachers, you teach more lessons with your life than you do with your words. I've learned more from teachers based on the way they enter a classroom than I do based off the next hour and 15 minutes of them teaching me. You're an encourager. Thank God you're an encourager. Because students, a lot of times at home, don't get that encouragement. And when they walk into your classroom, if you have that smile on your face and you have that excitement and you're ready to go and you're ready to encourage, students are going to respond to that. Maybe not day one, maybe not day five, you know, but maybe by day 80, they're going to respond to it because you guys are encouragers. And when students come in believing that they can't do something, you guys get to encourage them to believe they can. You know, my dad told a story last year about, what was the teacher's name? The, the one that taught you long division? Mr. Malkovich. Mr. Malkovich found out that Pastor Jim didn't know how to do long division. He'd been passed on based from class to class to class to class and ended up leaving, or not leaving him, ended up, not leaving him at all, wow, ended up bringing him into his classroom after school in order to teach him long division. And he encouraged him the entire way saying, Jim, you can do this. Jim, you can do this. Jim, you can do this. And finally, at the very end of, you know, two hours of work, he learned how to do it then. And to this day, he uses a calculator just like everybody else. You know, I stole your joke. <laughs> and, and so you guys get to encourage people. Giver. I used to go into school systems when I was part of Eco, and the number one thing that teachers would always ask me for is, do you guys have any snacks you can give me? And it had nothing to do with them wanting snacks. It's because they knew of 10 students walking into their classroom every single week who didn't have food on the weekends. And they wanted to give them something to take home with them so that way students can actually eat on the weekend. They wanted to provide for them in a way that their own home couldn't. And so every time I'd go into there, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, school supplies are awesome. What I really need are snacks. Can you give me jars of peanut butter and jelly? Can you give me bread? Can you give me something that, like, like boxes of stuff? Because that isn't going to, uh, you know, crumble and mold and everything like that. You can actually continue using that. And so teachers, you are some of the most giving people that I know because when students come walking in the door, you're not just looking to give them information. You're looking to give them life values. You're looking to give them food. You're looking to give them sustenance so that way they can actually come into the classroom and learn. And leader. Actually, not and leader. There's still more. Leader. You guys lead as a servant and getting students to places that they themselves didn't believe that they could go to. When I walk into a classroom day one, all I'm wanting to do is leave and go home thinking that school isn't for me whatsoever. But because teachers are the leaders of the classroom, they then get to lead me to a place that I didn't know I could go to. I used to hate typing. Like, I was supposed to learn in, like, third grade, and I would sit down, and I would, like, have my hands under that box thing. Everybody in the, like, room know about those box things. You have to, like, type out certain letters, and things would highlight, and they would always show up with a big red projection when you'd get it wrong. That's always, you know, reaffirming to the spirit. 
And, uh, and, and, uh, and I, I hated that. And so I, I didn't really want to do it back in third grade. But finally, my freshman year of high school, I had a teacher named Mr. Burwitz who believed in me enough to see that I could actually type. And to this day, I still use that. But because he was a leader in the classroom and able to lead me to a place I didn't want to go to and I didn't believe I could go to, he was able to step in and be that leader to get me to that position, you know? And I still use those typing skills to this day. One of only three school skills I learned in high school that I still use to this day. Merciful. If you had me as a student, you know. <laughs> I turned in every single paper late, turned in every single homework late. I was late, you know? Like, it, was, it wasn't good. But all my teachers had mercy on me for some reason, and I think it's because they could see something bigger in me than just a student. And so I was able to actually have teachers take mercy on me to be a student, to be the student that I could be, not to be the perfect student, you know? Teachers make a difference. I have five teachers in my life I specifically want to highlight right now because I believe that you can relate to stories probably a little bit more than you can relate to information. My first teacher that I had, literally first teacher I ever had was Mrs. Malero. I just ran into her earlier this year, and she told me that I'm actually on her wall of fame. Like, like she's like, this student right here is actually doing good with their life right now. When they came to me, there was no potential of it. Now they have potential. And I'm on her wall of fame to show her students what it is that they can become if they just take some of the lessons that she gives and can apply them. I remember with her, too, I came into class, and I was actually so excited to, like, learn stuff. I memorized a book that we were reading. I used to sit down on my mom's bed, and I would, like, read it out loud to her. I remember there was one time I was laying on my back reciting the book, and she's, like, in the mirror doing some stuff. And then she turns around. She sees that I'm not reading the book. I'm just saying it out loud. And she goes, are you reading the book right now? I'm like, yeah. She's like, how? I'm like, in my head. And she didn't believe me at the time, but I literally was reading the book in my head. I was that excited to read the book. And I, I remember it being paragraphs long, but I'm sure it was probably only like eight sentences, you know? Probably wasn't that impressive. I'm only a kindergartner. But it was, it was one of those things I remember, like, like her, her spirit when she came walking in, her excitement when she came walking in was something that made me want to learn. I mentioned this man earlier. It was Mr. Brown. He was my fourth grade social studies teacher. And every time when he would come walking into a room, if he was teaching us about a new character, he would be dressed up as that character. He would come in dressed as George Washington, full get up, full blue coat, wig on, hat on. He even one time came in with like a horse around him. Like, you know, like those like Halloween costume horses. He came walking in one time with that. And I was like, this guy right here knows what he's doing to keep my attention. <laughs> Same thing with uh, King George. Which, which number was King George that George Washington was going up against? King George III? Third? All the teachers know, I'm sure. King George III, he came dressed up as him, and every time, he would even come with, like, accents, and he, when he would go back to the lessons, he would have a crown on one side of his whiteboard, and he would have a wig on the opposite side of his whiteboard, and he would transition between the two characters as he was teaching me. And because of him, I now love stories, and my youth students pay for it, because I tell a lot of stories. My next one coming up, Mrs. Moser. She had me for seven classes in high school. Seven. I, I had eight classes a year, meaning she almost taught me for a quarter of my classes that I had in high school. She's the one who I lit the thing on fire with the hand sanitizer in the back of the room. Man, was she awesome. I used to go up <laughs> underneath her projector screen every day during SRT when she would be helping other students, and underneath it, I would write it, will you go to prom with me, question mark, JD. And the next hour, Chris Dobit can attest this because he was in the next hour, she would go to write something on the whiteboard and she would lift up the screen and it would just be sitting right there every single day. And finally in my senior year, she said yes the day after tickets were sold. And I was like, ugh! 
Girl, I should have just bought two of them. <laughs> My dad's covering his face. Anyway, Mr. Powers. Mr. Powers was the guy who I got an A in his class. He finally taught me in a way that I could understand, and he treated me as if I was an adult. When I would walk into the classroom, the classroom was based off of debate, not based off of papers. I'd walk into the classroom and he'd say, so long as you participate in my class and you actually do what it is that I'm asking you to do while you're in class, you'll be able to learn the material and we'll be able to uh, progress without you having to do any papers. Our class that year, we averaged like an 85% and everybody learned a lot about economics. That's when I got actually interested in like the stock market. And to this day, I actually have like stocks that I like buy and sell because he just got me interested in it and he treated me as if I was an adult. And so I learned from that. I was like, dang, like, like this is the way that school could be. I could actually be taught as someone who's a part of the lesson rather than just being taught a lesson. And from that, I got to learn a lot. And my last person I wanted to highlight is Mr. Macy. I don't want to highlight him because he had a major effect on my life, because he didn't until I graduated. He, he was someone who, while he was my teacher, he walked in with a smile on his face every single time. He had a crew cut. He looked military, but he also looked like a little bit scrawnier than military. And when I saw him, I was like, huh, just a cool guy, you know? But he walked in with a smile on his face every single day. Even some days he'd walk in looking a little ashy, looking a little gray, looking a little sick. And I was always like, man, like dude, you good? And every day he'd be like, yep, I'm good. I'm just ready to teach another lesson. And I had him for an entire year. And after I graduated, I found out that through the entire year of him being my teacher, he had cancer. Didn't take a single break because he was called to be in that school. He was called to be with those students. And he wasn't going to let anybody else teach them because no one could teach them as good as he could. And I didn't know how amazing of a teacher I had until after I graduated. And he's someone to this day who has influenced me to keep on making sure that I press on, that I dive deeper, that I have something more to get into because he himself was able to uh, teach me lessons, not from what he was teaching me in class, but from what he was teaching me through life. My favorite person in the Bible to talk about when it comes to that is Mordecai. If you don't know who Mordecai is, he is a teacher in the story of Esther. He raised Esther. It was his orphaned cousin. I, I thought it was a uh, niece for a second, but it's actually his cousin. Uh, the backstory is that this takes place in the Persian capital of Susa. Mordecai found out of a plot to kill the king. He decided to foil the, or spoil the entire plot, so the, so the king brought him into his uh, temple courts. The king uh, calls for a queen at one of his dinner parties. The queen refuses to answer. And so now the king is looking for uh, a brand new queen. He has decided to kind of exile her to the other side of the palace. Still his wife, but on the opposite side of the palace. And so he starts looking for new queens, and he brings Esther in as part of these people, and she ends up becoming the new queen. Now, Haman was part, he was the leader of the temple courts. He was the leader, basically right-hand person to the king. And Haman uh, was, was basically asking every single person in his temple court to bow to him. Mordecai refused. And because Mordecai refused, Haman decided he was going to kill off the entire Jewish population of the city and even farther into the Persian kingdom. His goal was to eradicate the earth of all of the Jews because Mordecai decided that he was going to bow to his God, not bow to people. Well, with Esther being the queen, Mordecai knew that he could influence the queen because he'd already been an influence, he'd already been a teacher and instructor to Esther. Which leads us into this conversation right here. Hathach was the person that was uh, an assistant, basically, to Esther, too. So, sorry. When Hathach told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai sent her this message. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. 
If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews uh, from someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for just such a time as this. I want to point out something about that real quick. Mordecai did not shy away from the lesson that needed to be taught to Esther at that time. Teachers, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to a student is teaching them a lesson they don't want to learn. Esther didn't want to learn that lesson. She would have rather sit in her palace and enjoyed everything uh, that was coming and believe that God was, going to sac- or sell, uh, God was going to set the Jews free in some other way. But Esther, having just learned this lesson from Mordecai, says, Go and get all the Jews living in Susa together. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink there for three days, either day or night, and I and my maids will fast with you. If you will do this, I'll go to the king, even though it's forbidden. If I die, I die. Mordecai left and carried out Esther's instructions. One thing led to the next, and Esther ends up going to the king. The king doesn't kill him, and, or the king doesn't kill her. And uh, she ends up baby, basically making sure that the, the law that was written about all the Jews being killed, that it gets overruled by a new letter by the king. She, she stops all of Haman's plot. And Haman had actually created this very tall way to hang Mordecai. And that was the way that he had planned on killing Mordecai. And instead, because Mordecai ended up saving the king from that plot of, you know, wanting him to die, the king ended up hanging Haman on the exact place that he was planning on killing Mordecai. So let me ask you guys this question. Who is the true hero of the story of Esther? Still Esther. Esther's still the hero. Esther's still the one that went to the king. She's still the one that risked her life. She's still the one who uh, had the conversation that became queen. She's still the one who did all those different things. But she didn't do it alone. She had to do it with the help of an instructor, of a teacher, of a prophet, of a person that was going to guide her into the area that she needed to be in in order to live up to the potential God had created her and put her on the earth for. And had Mordecai not been there to teach her and usher into what God had for her, she may have never arrived. God has a calling on every one of us to play a role in this body. Teachers, you guys are my unsung hero. I said it at the beginning. You guys in your life will probably not save all of the Jews. You probably won't develop a cure for cancer. You probably won't fight a war on behalf of America. You probably won't create a product that's going to end up changing the lives of millions of people or raising millions upon billions of dollars you can give away to charity. You probably won't create the number one album that goes out on iTunes. You probably won't make a speech that changes the world. But you're going to influence a generation that will. You as a teacher did not get into this job for the money and for the fame. But can I tell you, from a pastor standing on a stage who's 25 years old speaking to 400 people, you made a difference in my life and you made me believe that I could stand here. And because of the influence that you have, now I get to help change the life of youth all across this county. It's to help change the life of children all the way in Mexico and in Serbia and in Rome. I get to be a part of something bigger than I was because I had a teacher pulling off to the side and tell me that I'm going to be something bigger than I am. Again, you may not do all those things ever in your life, 
but you're going to influence a generation to believe that they can. I have something that I want to read over you guys real quick. We still have uh, prayer afterwards and we still have all the baskets and stuff like that, but this is my blessing that I have for you guys. Lord, thank you for every teacher as they begin this new school year. Thank you for their ministry to your children. I pray that, we would, that they would be sustained in health, strong in body, mind, and spirit to move in faith, patience, and with expectations. Protect them and keep them. Encourage them to behold the beauty of your holiness. Bless their ears to hear the lovely, the uplifting, and the encouraging, and to shut out the demanding and the negative. Cause their feet to walk in holiness and their steps ordered by you. Bless their hands to be tender, helping hands to those in need, hands that bless. May their hearts be humble and receptive of those around them. May their minds be strong, disciplined, balanced, and faith-filled. Your grace upon their learners and classrooms, that they may be havens of rest and renewal. Sanctuaries of peace, where the sounds of joy and laughter grace each room, where love and unconditional acceptance is never-ending. Father God, grant success and prosperity in their places of ministry and life. May goodness and mercy follow each precious teacher all the days of their long, healthy lives. Lord, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So what we're going to do right now is it's pretty simple and it's, it's extraordinarily optional. So I'll make that clear. We have an expression in this house um, called prayer and we have a, a kind of a, a, a way that we like to pray for people and that's by like, like the Bible calls it the laying on of hands where we, we get around people and we just kind of put our hands on them and we pray for them. Now if you're a teacher you're like, that's weird, I don't want to be touched. That's totally cool. Like we're, we're not trying to freak you out. But I, it's something, it's kind of our way as a congregation to take that prayer, that blessing a step farther. And so um, when we prayed for you, we're gonna, we got this big pile of stuff and there's snacks in there and there's paper towels and dry erase markers and Sharpie pens and reams of paper and post-it notes and hand sanitizer and lighters, just kidding. I mean, your grown children start talking, you're like, just don't. I, I had this whole different vision of what you were like in school. And you find out your arsonist Molotov cocktail kid is throwing other children out the window. And you go, I didn't want to know that, you know. So fun to be Dina and I today, is it not? So, um, so would you do this? If you'd be so kind to allow us to do this, it's not mandatory. But if you are an educator, it would be our great honor to pray for you, your students, your classroom, your family, your health. And if you would be so kind, would you stand again to your feet right now? All of our educators stand up. And as well, would you mind, and you don't have to, but would you mind coming forward and standing right here in the front? And then as you come forward right now, please, if you would, those that are standing, our educators, come up forward. And uh, we want you to have the honor of being right up front. And then, uh, CD, are your students, 
they're, they're in the next, so they're here now, right? Okay. Yeah, okay, good, because they're joining us, right? They're sleeping in because they're kids. Look at all these. Can we give my hand one more time? Look at this. This is, this is incredible. Super cool. Okay. So, by a show of hands, how many of you guys became teachers for, for the money and the fame? I'm just curious. Okay, one. <laughs> How's it working out for you? <laughs> right on. All right. Students then, would you stand up? I, I would love it if you guys got right behind these teachers this morning. And this is college students, high school students, our elementary students are in the other room. But stand your feet if you would come. And anyone else who wants to come? Parents, um, administrators, uh, let's, let's get around them. Austin, you're studying to be a doctor, right? Isn't that cool? What was your GPA in high school, just out of curiosity? 3.6. What is it in college now? Showing off. Good. Are you going to, when you become a doctor, you're going to pay a lot of Social Security so I get retirement? I'm just curious. I'm counting on you, buddy. Do good in school. All right. Great. Well, let's do this. And again, if it's, if it's creepy, then just, just uh, apologize. But this is our way. This is our way of just saying we want to bless you. There's room down here in the middle, guys. I know we're kind of creeping around the edges, but there's room down here in the middle. And let's make sure every teacher has someone praying for them this morning. And them, those that are distributing the gifts, I think you're already over there ready to go. When we said amen, uh, you can just head right over there. I want to reaffirm what Pastor J.D. said, like heroes, like stinking heroes. I can't believe you do what you do. You work nine months out of the year like I only work one day a week. That whole three months off in the summertime is, is ridiculous. It's not even close to true. The investment you make in people's lives. I, there's a lot of students. I, I mean, everybody do this with me right now. When I say three, I want you to call out the name of your favorite teacher. Your favorite teacher. You ready? One, two, three. Karen Waltz. Everybody has one. And I promise you I'm looking at a bunch of them right now. Father, I thank you for these people that have dedicated their lives to educating children. What a teacher was 50 years ago, it's, it's so much different now, God. The, the culture around them, the students that come in their room, the challenges, the budgets, the politics, the, you know, all that aside, these are teachers. I pray your blessing on these teachers, God. May these teachers be free to teach. May these teachers be free to inspire, to prophesy, to see a kid that doesn't see what's true. They, they see themselves, they look in the mirror and they see something completely different than what you created. Let them call greatness out of their students. And in the times when it feels like it's not being received, remind them that every seed planted has to germinate, that has to die. It's buried, it's unseen, it goes away. But then years later, seven years later, somebody stands on a platform and says, if it wasn't for Mrs. Moosier, if it wasn't for Mrs. Malero, if it wasn't for Mr. Brown, you know what I mean? So help us, help us enjoy the, the investment made in knowledge that the harvest is coming. Bless each teacher. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, it's Christmas morning. There's the tree. So all you teachers, go over there and start grabbing stuff. Can we say one more time thank you to our educators? Come on, church, stand to your feet, all this room. Let's say thank you one last time to them. And we are grateful for you. Be blessed. And we will uh, be praying for you this school year. Stay as long as you like. Uh, you're free to go whenever you're ready. Remember, first steps is waiting out the doors and to the left. If you see an educator, shake their hand, hug their neck.